Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hello, family. Yeah, before I start, I just want to give some praise to God. Uh, The last year and a half of my time here at Vineyard has been uh, amazing. There's been a lot of ups and downs, and um, many of you have become good, good friends, um, and I feel so loved and so accepted here, and so I'm really grateful for this, this church family. Um, And I also want to honor my parents who are here today, my mum and my dad, um, and my auntie, can't forget her, she's sitting there too. But mum and dad, I just want, I do want to just take this moment to just thank you for, I'm talking about the desert place today, and through my journey, through my life, there's been a lot of times when I felt in the wilderness, and my parents have been a constant They've been so supportive of me and so good at praying for me and, you know, dealing with me when I'm not always the best person to be around, Um, like we sometimes aren't. So, um, thank you. I'm still here, and I'm so glad that you're here for this moment as well. So, I'm going to speak on uh, Psalm 63, and um, my sermon in a sentence, hopefully, is the desert place is one of the best opportunities for us to have a deeper personal relationship with God, to choose a posture of praise, to dwell under God's protection, and to trust in his purposes. Um, So I'm just going to set the scene a little bit. So um, we're going through the Psalms, as you know, but uh, the Psalms are a book in the Bible. There's 150 of them. the, the definition of a psalm is a holy song or poem or prayer poem to God. And most of them are, we, you know, are ascribed to this guy called David from the Old Testament. Um, he's the David and Goliath David. He's the King David. He's the David and Bathsheba David. Um, lots of stories about David and the different times in his life that he chose to call out to God and the psalms are those things. So where is David when he's writing this psalm? Um, he's in the desert of Judea. There's an, this is the picture of the desert of Judea. You can see it's a very hot, dry, barren place. Uh, it's just outside of Jerusalem, and it travels down to the Dead Sea. And just a little bit of context, which I didn't know, it's the same desert where when Jesus goes into the desert, and he's fasting for his 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil. It's the same desert space. And what's been happening to David at this moment in time? He's grown up. He's um, been anointed to become the king by Samuel, the prophet. Um, But Saul is still the king of Israel at that time, and he is not happy with David at this moment. So David has had to flee for his life literally. Um, and in that moment, he is writing this song. And I think it's important for us to, re- to remember just at the beginning of this point that David has received this 
I suppose, promise from God, affirmation of God about what is going to happen in his life, that he's going to be the king of Israel. Um, But at this moment, it doesn't really look good for him. (laughs) It's not a comfortable place for him to be. And every situation that he is facing is saying, I didn't really think this was how it was going to go. So a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, um, and a lot of uncomfortableness. So I'm going to do something a little bit different to normal, and I'm going to sing the psalm to you. I wrote a song about this psalm not long ago, and so it was a great opportunity for me to share it with you. The words are going to come off on the screen as well, so you can actually read the scripture. Um, And I just really encourage you as I'm singing to just engage with the Holy Spirit for yourself and to let him begin to speak to you um, through his word, because we want to hear the voice of God today, not just me. Okay, I'm just going to make sure I start in the right key, or it could be very bad. Okay, so, and you can close your eyes, you can, whatever you feel comfortable to do. Oh God, you are my God, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land. Oh God, you are my God. I have seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify oh God you are my God My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will praise you all my days. I lift my hands in your name. With my mouth, my soul will praise you. Oh, God, you are my God.
soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land. Oh God, you are my God. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, so I am going with peas today. Four peas in a pod. And they are our personal relationship with God. The desert place. What is that place? How do we choose the right posture or position, response to God in that place while trusting in his purposes for our lives. So first of all, it's personal. David starts this psalm by acknowledging, God, you are my God. He acknowledges first that God exists, and for him, probably, you know, he's relating to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that big concept of God through history, the creator of life of the world, but he's then saying, you are my God. There's a personal relationship in this moment. There's a choosing, and there's an ability to talk to God personally about his life, about where he's at. It's intimate. Um, We know that from other Psalms, like Psalm 139, which David also wrote, he talks about being known in his mother's womb, being known before a day came being hemmed in before and behind every word that we we speak or that he speaks, being known by God before it comes out of his mouth. Um, And so I just want to ask the question and challenge us a little bit. Is that something that you have in your relationship with God? Um, Maybe it's something that you want or it's something that you already have or sometimes we forget just how close and how intimate and how personal our relationship with God can be and then when we're in difficult circumstances it's even more likely that we're going to forget the personal nature of our relationship with God Um, and I want to encourage you if God is someone who seems far away or out there And maybe it's for other people, but it's not for me. That's not what this psalm is saying. It's it's actually saying, come to God personally as your God. Um, And we'll come back to that a little bit later. So the place, the desert place. Um... So we'll talk about where David is at first in this moment, and then we're going to talk about what is the desert place for us. So at this moment, as I said, he's outside of Jerusalem. He's in Judea, in the desert. It's a horrible place to to have to hang out every day. Um, I was thinking about, you know, when we go on visits to Israel or we become tourists, it's like, yeah, I want to go to the desert. But you go with all the gear, you go with a tour guide, you know that you're not going to get lost out there, and you, you know that you're going to come back again. But it's not the kind of place that you're like, yeah, I'll just go and have a walk and see what happens. It's not 
usually the place that we choose to go to um, and that we want to live in. And so there's something going on for David that he hasn't chosen. He's fled for his life. He's alone in this moment. I don't know if there's other people around him. There were men. There were people in his army who were there. He's actually in a position of leadership. He's somebody who people are expecting things of. And in this moment, it probably was quite easy for people to doubt what, what, what he's there for and whether he had the ability to lead and, um, you know, was cho- God's chosen person. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our lives, we can feel like there's all this pressure to be um, leading others, to be an example to others, to be, you know, what God has called us to be. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that it can seem, it can look in the physical experiences, what we're going through, very, very, very different. And then there's this there's this physical place that he is, and then there's an emotional place that he's in. Um, there's a weariness, and I think the, the language that he chooses to use about this dry and weary land, he then talks about his soul and that thirst that he has. He's talking about something deeper than just the physical environment around him. There are emotions, there are doubts, there are feelings, there are thoughts going on behind his situation. It's uncertain. Um, He probably feels very weak, not strong, not in a place of I'm winning, I'm I'm taking the the promise. It's, It's difficult. And so I don't know what that might look like for you in this moment. And it may be past experiences, present experiences, or future experiences. It may be in a relationship, in work, in society. We look around and we see the cost of living crisis, post-COVID issues, um, living in the West and the abundance that we have and then looking at some of the other places around the world and what they're going through and what they're dealing with. And all of those different things can make up weary land, dry desert place where we look and we think, we need you, God. We need God. I need you, God. It could involve hurt and people that we trust or we expect to embrace us, letting us down um, or rejecting us. And again, David experienced that in his relationship with Saul. You know, he was serving, he was loving, he was, you know, wanting this king to, to do well. And yet he was cast out of that place and he was made to leave everything that he knew in that moment. So I want to say, I'm not answering all these questions for you, obviously, in this moment. It's going to look different for each person. But just to connect with that and um, to know that it's okay to be in that place. It's not, it's actually normal to be in those spaces and places of um, dryness and confusion and not feeling on top of the world all the time or that everything is going your way and again I think sometimes we have this expectation that 
it should all feel great all the time. And I have Jesus and I know God. And so I need to be praising and I need to be worshiping and I need to be telling people or I need to be in control of everything. And that's just not true. It's not true in David's life. It wasn't true in Jesus's walk um, in the way that he, you know, he had to go into the wilderness to be prepared for his mission, for what he was about to do in his purpose for God, with God. And um, yeah, I just want to challenge you that it is okay and that we do need to acknowledge it. It's more important that we acknowledge it before God and we tell him, I need you, than to pretend and to go about as if everything is fine and, you know, we're like, we're God because we aren't. And so we can't sustain that. It's not possible. And it actually potentially damages us more to pretend than it does to be honest about what's going on in our minds and our hearts and our lives. Are you still with me? So personal, make it personal, acknowledge the place. And then the next P is posture. How do you posture yourself before God when it gets tough? Um, so there, I've written a specific sentence that I wanted to read out to you, which is, your posture before God in the desert place has the power to determine your experience, your mental health, your relationships, and your victory. I'm going to read that again. Your posture before God in the desert place has the power to determine your experience, your mental health, your relationships, and your victory. So it's actually a pretty important thing for us to be considering and getting right. Um, <clears throat> this is where this opportunity comes in, where we're in this very desert, uncomfortable, not good place. There's this opportunity to do something before God that gives us this open, possible life. Now, I don't know about you, but it is... My tendency when I've been in desert places in the past to shout at God, be angry, blame him, run from him, blame other people, complain, get depressed, um, become bitter, have self-pity, and basically define my life by what is happening to me in that moment. Anybody else going to like relate with me? <laughs> Maybe you don't do all of those, but <laughs> make one or two. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not easy. And so we, we start to define ourselves and our life by what is happening in that moment. Um, to the point that we question our identity and we say things like, I'm not loved. Or I don't think God can love me. I don't think he cares about me. I don't think he's with me. I can't do it. It's too difficult what's the point? We can get to this place of feeling actually like, what is the point? And the hopelessness and the despair comes, comes in to the point that this opportunity that we've be, we're being offered actually looks like it's the end and there's nowhere else to go. 
So I want to look a little bit at how David chooses to posture himself before God. Um, In his heart, he very quickly acknowledges his need of God. He's talking about seeking, thirsting, and longing for the presence of God. He's being honest with God. He's saying, I need you, God. I'm yearning for you. And he, he opens this door for God to be there in that moment. If we don't do that, then we actually put up a wall between us and God. We close. If you, if you don't open your heart, you close it. And you create a wall. And um, the God who is there as our friend, as our lover, as our answer is our solution, we're not able to receive any of those things from him. Bitterness comes in, resentment comes in, grief comes in, and we kind of go into this cycle. And actually, God can become our enemy. It can feel like he's our enemy um, if we choose to go down this road, rather than being our savior and the, the satisfier of our souls, the one who has that water in the dry and the weary land. So first thing is to open our hearts before God in that place. The mind. So David talks about, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. He begins to remember, he begins to call to mind things that have happened in his life, things that God has given to him, things that God has said to him, the nature of God, who God is. Um, And there's that other psalm, again, I don't know if it was David that said it, but about praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it goes on to talk about all his other good things. So forgetting not means remembering. It means calling those things to mind. It means talking about them. Um, You've probably all heard the glass half empty, glass half full And um, sometimes we feel like we've got the the half full or maybe all full. And then sometimes we feel like it's half empty. And what we're thinking about, what we're dwelling on, what we're talking about, it's all the stuff we wish was different, stuff we wish was better, things that haven't happened yet, things that might never happen. And we begin to get into a mindset of the glass half empty rather than the glass half full. It's very simple, but it's not actually very easy to do sometimes, to have that, I want to be grateful for what I've got. I want to praise God for what I've got. I want to look and see the goodness or the detail of something in my life that actually I need to be so grateful to God for. We've all got a story, and maybe we're all on different journeys with that story. Um which is fine. So you might not know the fullness of your story yet. You might not relate to God um, as your personal savior, and that's okay. But I want to say, do you know you're alive? Like every day, I, I don't know if you ever think about this, but I always find it incredible that we don't have to think in order to breathe. It just happens. And I'm not scientific, I'm not really, I was never really that great at science. But there's not an understanding of that moment when breath begins and that moment when 
when life ends and breath ceases. God is in that. And it's a mystery and it is beautiful and it's, it's incredible. But I would say like even that is enough to see life is a gift. Life and breath and the ability to be in this world is a gift. And it's something that we can praise God for. Let me just catch up with my notes. Um, so David had experiences of God as he was living his journey. David and, and Goliath is such a famous story, that moment when with a sling and a stone, he slayed the giant. He knows that he's chosen and he's anointed. He's been singled out by God. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if, the, if that is your experience, but it is mine that I know that I'm called and chosen by God. It says it in the Bible. I'm a co-heir with Christ. You are a co-heir with Christ. <laughs> it is a big, big thing. Um, it's an amazing thing. We have this same promise, this same identity, this same calling that David had. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes I think we, we know it here in our head, but we need to let it sink into our heart knowledge. Do we believe this about God? And you kind of have to choose to believe something because it either is true or it's not. Um, and sometimes in today's world, that's not very popular. It's like, well, we'll choose a bit of that and we'll choose a bit of that and we'll sit on the fence here and then maybe I'll decide at some point that I'm going to commit to something, whether that's faith or other things in our lives. You've got to decide what you believe because that's where the power is. That's where you can then walk in that place and you can relate to God in a new and a different way. Coming back to the mind, so many of the battles that we face, they, they happen in our mind. They happen in the way that we think and the way that we choose to think. <clears throat> and that's why the Bible is um, so clear in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It's about taking every captive thought and bending it to the will of Christ. And then in Philippians 4, verse 8 thinking on things that are pure and lovely and good. Whatever is, think on those things. That's what the scripture says. Um, but often, again, we choose to think on, to dwell on other things, different things. So what do you choose to call to mind? Then David uses his voice in this moment. And I feel that voice and the things that we speak and we choose to speak, are so powerful and important, again, in us connecting with the truth of our life in, in the goodness of God. He sings, he praises, he uses his mouth, his lips, his hands, he clings on to God, he kind of actively grabs God in this moment. And we were we were singing about, you know, the running after of God and the, the way that God approaches us this morning. But there's actually something God's asking us to do or offering for us to do to help ourselves out a little bit, to cling on to him, to, to want him to come into the situation and to use our, our voice, our mouth 
to declare victory, to declare what he has done in our lives, what he's going to do in our lives. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't add it into my song because it's the whole bit about like, um, you know, the enemy being destroyed in the psalm, but it's there. And there's this moment where David, he declares his overcoming. He declares the victory. He declares the end of the situation that he's going through. It, nothing's changed. He's still sat there in the desert, but he's declaring, he's seeing, he's visualizing, he's believing, and he's trusting in God that this time is going to end. He doesn't know the end, but he does know the end. And he's telling himself and he's telling God, this is what's going to happen. This is the end. And that causes him to praise that causes him to lift his hands and sing, to rejoice in his heart over what God is going to do. I don't know about you, but that creates hope. That creates a strength. That gives us a poss the possibility to do some of the things that we need to do to get out of the desert place and into the purposes of God for our lives. So not only does he praise and use his heart, mind, body, <clears throat> you know, as ways to, to, to connect to this opportunity. It says that he, he sings in the shadow of, of God's wings. I just want to say something about protection, the protection of God here. Um, and it's not, again, it's this, this tension between the physical and the emotional and spiritual things that are going on at that moment in time. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> sorry. God's protection is outside of our physical experiences. Now, obviously, he can protect us from physical things as well. Um, but there's a supernatural protection that we have that is about our eternal life with God, our salvation, things that are beyond our understanding. And we can choose to live under that protection and thank you, honey. Isn't she lovely? So, so loved. We can choose to hide under that protection. When kids, um, you know, they, they say, oh, let's go play hide and seek. They intentionally go away and they hide from you and they wait to be found. And there is a choosing to go to God for where you want to hide, for where you want your protection to come from. We can search and we can look for all sorts of other protection. We can try and self-protect. We can look to people to protect us. We can look to our money or, again, our circumstances, our job, all these other things to protect us physically. But God is saying, come and hide with me. Come and see that there's another realm of protection which you have, which covers all of these other things and, again, is connected to realizing the purposes of God in our lives. Okay, how are we doing? Great, okay. I just need to get, so I, I just want to give an example of this, which I just thought was so inspiring. And I tried to do a bit of research, but <clears throat> there's a guy called uh, Richard Wormbrand, who was a um, Jewish descent in World War II. He'd become a Christian about 10 years before um, during the Second World War, he ended up being um, imprisoned in communist Romania. And he spends three years in solitary confinement without the contact of other people, other humans. And he is, um, 
he's alone. And it says that even the guards wore things on their shoes so that they didn't make sound, so that the prisoners couldn't hear that they were there. Anyway, he says this, he maintained his sanity by sleeping in the day and exercising his mind and soul at night to compose and deliver sermons um, <coughs> sermons that he, he, he spoke to himself and he continued to be the sunlight for his fellow prisoners rather than dwell on the lack of physical light. So in that moment, and, and then he, he gets out and he writes books and he works to support the persecuted church and he, he walks into this incredible purpose that God has for him out of the desert place, out of being uncomfortable. I mean, to the point of, similar to David, you're, you're fighting for your life. And I know some of us, that might not be our experience, but if there is a purpose in those things for that person, there's a purpose wherever God sends you, wherever your desert place is, there is a purpose for you to connect with, to fulfill. And <clears throat> And I don't know about you, but I want to know what that is. I want to be part of that with God. I want to experience it in my life. So, the last P, purpose. And this, again, is just an encouragement that there is purpose in the desert. In fact, it's sometimes the only way that we can be prepared for our purposes in God. Um, and there are similarities just a couple that I want to draw from between um, the, the journey of David and the journey of Jesus for us to, to follow. So David at this time, he was preparing to be king. He wasn't the king yet. He did go on to become the king and be one of the greatest, um, you know, kings that we know of in the Bible. Jesus, he goes into the wilderness before he begins his mission. He has this amazing three years on um, the earth leading up to this moment when he's preparing for the greatest challenge that he has to face. And then he's in the garden this desert place, his friends are all asleep, people are plotting to kill him, he's, he's kneeling before God, and he's saying, Lord, if you can, take this cup. I don't want to be here, but I am here. If I have to be here, it's not my will, but your will be done. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus had to choose in that moment how he was going to posture himself before God. And if he hadn't done all those other things that he did in the lead up to that point, who knows? I don't know. Like, what if we know that Jesus is the Son of God? We know that he chose and he knew the love of God is better than life. His love was more important than his life in that moment. He had to show his love for us. And that is what gives us <laughs> everything that we need. It gives us this promise 
that we, when we share in his suffering, we share in his glory. And that is the choice that we have, whether we are prepared to make that choice or not. And we sung again this morning, I choose you. Every time I would choose you. But we have to decide to do that. I'm so grateful that Jesus did choose to do that. And um, again, I think that just the moment of him dying on the cross, being physically unprotected outside of everything that we can see is possible, um, is, is probable for success, for purpose, for um, winning the fight, the battle, And yet in that moment, he was the most powerful. He was inside of the Father's protection because that was his purpose. That was what he was there for. And, you know, it's not nice. Sometimes life is going to throw things at us and we're going to have to choose pain or suffering or struggle. That is actually what we're called to as Christians. But... When we posture ourselves before God, praise him in that moment, come under his protection, what incredible purposes we're going to see fulfilled in our lives. Ding, ding, ding. That's me done. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.